Lucy Russell, where we find the wonder in your story. I will be your host for the next hour. I have over 35 years of experience applying the science of relationship systems to my practice of psychotherapy and leadership consulting. My intuitive skills allow me to bring clarity and vision to your challenges. I hope you will be surprised in the next hour. Good morning. Uh, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you here with me. I'm Mercy Russell, and this is my radio show, Remarkable Relationships. Today, I will be having a conversation with my colleague and friend, Leslie Cornegay. Um, I was just sort of hesitating because she's just uh, getting on. She won't be here with us um, by video for those who may be watching this with on a video, but she'll be, she'll be in soon. Um, in this show, my goal is to bring a fresh perspective to you on all things related to how humans develop their individual brilliance while navigating the excitement, stickiness, and resistance in their relationships. So my guest today is Leslie Cornegay. Leslie and I bonded in 2008 as students in an educational policy and leadership studies doctoral program at the University of Vermont. At the time, she was director of custodial services with a department of close to 300 employees at the university. I slid into that program with my MSW since the College of Education and Social Services offered the EDD program to the social work department. While many of our classmates aspired to educational leadership, Leslie was already there. For those of you who are not familiar with higher education dynamics, the politics are fierce among the academic staff as well as the administration. I had a frame of reference through the experiences of family members and other close friends who were faculty members at the university. With my interest in relationship dynamics and organizations, I found their stories fascinating and had the satisfaction of adding insight that was helpful at times. However, I quickly became Leslie's student. I was humbled by the particular challenges she faced, as well as the fortitude and creativity she brought to what often felt like a snake den. Um, Benny, I just want to mention that I believe Leslie is uh, in the Zoom. She's in the Zoom room. Okay, uh, I don't see okay. you connected yet, though. So, <laughs> okay. Um, well, what we can do? Uh, how about this? Why don't we just take a short little break and okay. we'll get her connected if she's That's already. That's great. We'll just Thank try you, to Benny. Track her. You're welcome. We'll Thank be right you. back with more from the Remarkable Relationship Show with Mercy Russell. Have something important to say? Want to help improve our world? Need to promote your business uniquely and effectively? KKNW is the answer. Our staff helps broadcasters and podcasters create professional-sounding audio. Bring your talent and let our experts help you craft a radio show or podcast that best delivers your message. Learn more at 1150kknw.com. That's 1150kknw.com. KKNW, talk variety that's live and local. Hi, tune into my new show, The Remarkable Relationship Show, with me, Mercy Russell. I bring a fresh perspective on all things related to how humans develop their individual brilliance while navigating the excitement, stickiness, and resistance in their relationships. Wednesdays from 9 to 10 a.m. And you can visit my website at leadershipwithmercy.com. I can't believe we have to make this commercial. It's ridiculous. You'll think it's ridiculous too. Listen to this. This commercial is about, well, it's about parents being rude at high school athletic events. Ridiculous, right? It gets worse. Studies show more than 75% of new high school officials are quitting because of bad adult behavior. So now there's a shortage of refs here in Washington, in almost all sports. No officials means no more games. Is that what you want for us? Come on, parents. It's time to grow up. 
Cheer for your team. Be proud of your children. But stop being so ridiculous. And don't make us run another commercial. Because we will. This message presented by the Washington Interscholastic Activities Association and the Washington State Secondary Athletic Administrators Association. Reminding you to always practice good sportsmanship. Time is funny. Sometimes it seems fast, another time slow. When it comes to time slots remaining on Alternative Talk 1150, time is running out. In fact, there are just a few primetime slots available. So if you want to host your own radio program, the time to call 425-653-1150 is right now. Nope, no time for excuses. Dial 425-653-1150 to find out how affordable it can be to host a radio show. Alternative Talk, we have an opportunity waiting just for you. Giving local voices a chance to shine. Alternative Talk 1150. Hello, this is Mercy Russell again with the Remarkable Relationships Show. Um, I'm here today um, with my guest, Leslie Cornegay, who I just sort of did a brief introduction to, and now she's with us. Um, and I, so um, I just want to sort of continue to tell you a little bit about Leslie and what we'll be talking about today. Um, I, as I just briefly mentioned, I met Leslie when we were both students in a doctoral program at the University of Vermont, where she was at the time director of custodial services with 300 employees. And um, we, over the, over the years, have become um, not only colleagues, but close friends. So let me just tell you a little bit about Leslie's background. She leads the, she currently leads the overall housekeeping services, sanitation and recycling for all academic buildings in a large higher educational, predominantly white institution in the, in the Southeast of the United States. Her, responsible, her responsibilities include management oversight for a workforce of 285 union and non-union staff. The department serves the campus community with pride, dignity, and professionalism by providing a clean and sustainable environment. Dr. Cornegay was appointed the director of University Environmental Health Environmental Services. Um, at her current institution on February 14th, 2016. She was formerly with the University of Vermont for eight and a half years as a director of custodial services. Prior to her position at the University of Vermont, Leslie held positions in university facilities organizations where she partnered with senior leadership to place the university internal customer first and implemented accountability measures to ensure that departmental performance met campus expectations. She has led major institutional change initiatives while adhering to her commitment to positive and proactive leadership, transparency in communications, staff development, and strong relationships with internal and external campus stakeholders, customers, and senior leadership. She holds a doctorate of education from the University of Vermont. We both finished that program, by the way. <laughs> a certificate from the Harvard Executive School of Business, a master's of administration from Central Michigan University, and a bachelor's of science in business administration from the University of Mount Olive. She is a member in the International Honor Society Pi Gamma Mu, I. EHA slash ISSA, I don't know what that is. Leslie, you'll have to explain that to us. APPA and a graduate of the HERS Institute, which is a leadership institute for women in higher education. So today I asked Leslie to come so that we could talk about her journey, um, personal and spiritual, through the traces of her work life. Um, you will hear about her personal and spiritual growth as she took charge of her own destiny. Um, as we, as Leslie and I talked in preparing for this, it really stood out to me how much her story and her path, her career path, have really been seminal to her 
all many changes that she's made as and transformation as she over the years on a personal level. So Leslie, I'd like to say hello. Hello, Mercy. Hi. Um, I I I just thought that perhaps as we discussed, um, I'm that we might start with your early years. But before we do that, is there anything else you'd like to add in terms of the way that, you know, we've, I've opened this up and introducing you? Sure, thank you for inviting me. I wanted to just uh, comment on the acronyms that you made uh, <laughs> in the introduction. And uh -huh. just the professional associations uh, for facilities in higher education, uh, the major ones that I'm a member of, or I uh, serve in some capacity in their uh, executive operations. Uh, so I guess, you know, as I was reading your bio, um, I, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm thinking about all the, all the things I've learned about your position and what you do and the particular nature of it. And I just, I think I wanna highlight a few things that I know that it, at the University of Vermont, your staff were, um, you know, many of them were housekeepers who worked three shifts in college classrooms and student dorms. Um, and they also, in the, in the city of Burlington, Vermont, were uh, a very much an eclectic group, including many immigrants, because um, Burlington is a refugee resettlement community. So we had you know, people from all different countries, backgrounds, races, and quite a few of whom really don't, didn't speak English. And yes. I, I think, you know, this is a complexity, adds a complexity to, in a workforce and also in promoting, as you often talked about, the, the development of your staff, it adds a complexity to it, to a, a job where one might just, you know, might be a department chair and maybe you're dealing with a lot of faculty and there's some diversity, but uh, the, the, the issues are really quite different and really very unique. Um, and plus the number of people, hundreds of them. Now I know at your current institution, the the uh, those dynamic those that profile population profile might be different. But as you emphasize, you have both union and non-union staff, and that just adds a complexity that I just want our audience to appreciate. Thank you. Um, so let's just start with your early years. You know, that's my I'm a family systems person. And we, uh, as Leslie and I talked and I came up with an outline for what to talk about. I think we have probably three or four hours worth of life to talk about, but so we'll try to just sort of, I think move through to things that are you know interesting both to Leslie and to, and to you, our listeners. Um, so can you just tell us a little bit about where you grew up um, something about your personality and your as a child, you you know, I think that was uh, that's something that you've often talked about, and then your family upbringing. Sure. So my parents uh, were in the military, in the Air Force, and so I come from a divorce household. My father was in the Air Force and my stepfather was in the Air Force. As you can imagine, uh, the first 13 years of my life were spent um, you know, moving every two to three years to different locations uh, across the United States and having two, um, doing two tours with my parents in Tokyo, Japan. And so, um, this, uh, the tour happened during the height of the, um, civil unrest in our country. Mm -hmm. So when I 
you know, I was raised during a period when uh, segregation was still going on, but in the military, the military was not segregated. And so I've always um, had the exposure of different cultures um, and ethnicities and races, um, you know, in my um, formative years, had that exposure and that experience uh, in those relationships. And, um, you know, that has, has impacted my um, skills and development as an adult and how I move in the world. Um, my mother was really ahead of her time. Uh, you know, she left my, my father during a time when women didn't leave men. Uh, if you had a good husband, um, you didn't leave because you wanted something different, especially if you had three children. Mm -hmm. um, but she was very independent and, you know, made the decision that that's what she wanted to do. Uh, um, uh, yeah, go ahead. So, but you're, when you came, so you were in, you were overseas until... You were about 12, is that correct? Uh, yeah, we came back to the United States when I was 13. When you were 13, right, mm -hmm. with your mom. And, and when you, so when you moved back from that kind of international experience, you moved back to your family's home in, in North Carolina. Can you tell us a little bit about that, about your mother? You were about your, your mother's family and um, sort of what your experience was like coming back into the United States at that time. Sure. So we went from the largest city in the world at that time. Which was Tokyo, correct? Yeah. Yeah. To a city that had one stoplight. So you can imagine the cultural shock, mm. you know, um, at that time I was able to do things like gymnastics and, you know, just really, uh, rigorous activities that were in the schools. Um, it was just a different world. And so coming back to North Carolina, uh, was a big letdown for all of us. The schools weren't where they should have been, um, in terms of um, my interaction at the time with family, um, we, we stayed with my grandmother who had a farm. Um, and it was for a short period at that time. But what I will say is off and on throughout the years when my parents were divorced, my family lived with my grandmother and all of my cousins because all of my, for some reason, all of my mother's siblings divorced and the women and had kids. And we all ended up at my grandmother's at the same time. So you can imagine um, probably about 13 or 14 kids. And, mm -hmm. um, but it was, it was, uh, I remember it being a very uh, positive period. I consider my cousins to be my brothers and sisters mm -hmm. as well. Um, and we also, you know, during this time, you know, as I mentioned to you, my uh, experiences haven't been linear where I've had periods where I've been in very comfortable environments, and then I've had uh, periods when I've been in environments that were, would be considered as uh, poverty environments. Mm -hmm. So I can remember a time when, you know, my mother, because she was so independent and she was not gonna go on welfare, uh, we lived in the projects, you know? So um, 
I've had many different experiences. I think the military, being a child of the military, really structured me to where I am very adaptable um, to any environment. Um, I understand that the same characters in life are going to show up at every location. <laughs> and it's just a matter of me figuring out who is who. Right. And it's been true every time. Mm -hmm. um, so. So you, when you came back, you were, you had that not uncommon experience of kind of being an outsider and at age 13 that's that's a particularly sensitive time you know when the you know 13 year olds are very sensitive to group dynamics and who's fits in and who's different and um yeah. and we've talked about how that you know learning to navigate that experience you know is what really was the beginning of your developing skills because that's a theme you've had throughout your life including to the current your current you know your current work life today um <clears throat> now um when you when you left so you finished high school in um near you were in in north carolina in near your 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 grandmother's town which was dudley a small town um, and from there, you went to college, to a, um, a historically Black college that's, um, you know, um, A&T in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, so what happened when you went off to college then? Hmm. So one of the things I do want to go back to that I have experienced throughout my life is, especially when I came back from overseas, is being bullied. So I was bullied in middle school. Mm -hmm. I was bullied in high school and I was bullied in college. Um, and at, during those times, um, that kind of behavior wasn't put in check. But one of the reasons why I was bullied was that I was so different, okay? Mm -hmm. I didn't assimilate. And I was very independent and I knew exactly who I was, very mature. And so my college experience um, was the first time uh, that I, since I left Japan, that I was actually able to bond with other women. And there were and still are about eight very close friends who throughout the years, we still stay in contact with each other. Um, college at A&T was an experience like none other. I've never been in an environment where it was all people that looked like me and they were um, socially, uh, viable in terms of the Greek associations, the culture. I had just never been around that before. And um, I enjoyed it so much that I didn't stay. I was there for two years. And I made the decision that I just needed to I didn't need to stay because I wasn't, you know, I, I, I just wasn't doing well uh, academically. Mean, academically, yeah. Yeah. Having and the reason I wasn't doing well is because I wasn't going to class. I was having such a good time. Mm -hmm. um, and I was, I had all either half A's or half F's. Okay. Right. And talking to mm -hmm. someone, I made the decision that, okay, I can't, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to fail because the fear of failure has always been there for me. I'm, I, I just think I need to move on. And mm -hmm. so that kind of started my, you know, um, the adult years and um, they really got off to a very, I think, unsettling start where I just didn't have a, a really strong 
foundation. When I left school, I kind of, you know, um, fluttered a little bit. You know, I, I uh, worked part time. I um, went out of state and lived with family. Um, it was during those times, you really needed an education. Uh, high school, just coming out of high school, you weren't going to to be able to, to do a lot. And so um, during this time, I ended up in New Jersey and I uh, ended up as the playboy in Atlantic City. Um, and I was recruited to be a bunny, but I was not, ha I wasn't, I was a tomboy. I wasn't interested in that. Um, and so I became a ballet driver and I really liked that. That was cool because you got to wear the really cool jogging outfits and the really cool sneakers and you got to drive everything. So we all of us drivers, we got to meet everybody that came into the Playboy, right? And we would drive their vehicles. And when I tell you in that garage, we would go from zero to hundred miles an hour in a very short period of time, okay? Don't tell but your Ferrari owners, please. <laughs> <laughs> during that time, I learned how to drive everything. Mm -hmm. And, um, I had a situation where I got into a vehicle one day and I don't know how the guy drove up there, but it didn't have no brakes. And I didn't, I, I didn't know how to stop it. And so I ran into something to stop it. And, um, you know, that was my first experience with seeing that people don't really care about you because they weren't concerned that I might've gotten hurt. It was about the vehicle and I chose not to use the union to support me. And I ended up being transferred out of that air position into housekeeping. So that's when I, that was my first exposure with housekeeping. Mm -hmm. I became a housekeeper. In those days, I, housekeepers, that was a pretty good living. Mm -hmm. um, part of the local 54 union. Um, our salaries were decent, I remember, and we made exceptional tips from the customers because they were winning, right? So they would leave you chips or whatever. Um, but that, I made enough income to really support myself well. Uh, I remember getting laid off after a couple of years and coming back to North Carolina. And it was during that time that I started working front desk uh, for a major hotel uh, in the area. And I got back in school. So I transferred all my credits from A&T to uh, made the, the major four-year school there and um, was doing very well and decided, okay, well, I'm gonna apply for the supervisor. Leslie, Leslie, I, yeah. okay, this is, I think, a really important juncture in your story because this, I think, is where your career really begins to develop and take off. Mm -hmm. um, we need to take a break. So okay. we're going to take a break and we're going to come back, leave people with a little suspense about what happened as you started, because then, you know, it does, the story gets more, not less exciting in my eyes. Um, this is Mercy Russell with the Remarkable Relationships Show. My guest today is Dr. Leslie Cornegay. We're going to take a break and we'll be back soon. Alternative Talk 1150. We're on your radio at 1150 AM. We're on your HD radio at 98.9 Channel 3. So many ways to listen. We're on the web at 1150kknw.com. Streaming live audio and video as well as MP3 archives of many of our shows. So many ways to listen. And now... 
We're on your smartphone or tablet. Download our free app in the Apple App Store or Google Play and take Alternative Talk 1150 anywhere you go. So many ways to listen. Hi, tune into my new show, The Remarkable Relationship Show, with me, Mercy Russell. I bring a fresh perspective on all things related to how humans develop their individual brilliance while navigating the excitement, stickiness, and resistance in their relationships. Wednesdays from 9 to 10 a.m. And you can visit my website at leadershipwithmercy.com. I can't believe we have to make this commercial. It's ridiculous. You'll think it's ridiculous too. Listen to this. This commercial is about, well, it's about parents being rude at high school athletic events. Ridiculous, right? It gets worse. Studies show more than 75% of new high school officials are quitting because of bad adult behavior. So now there's a shortage of refs here in Washington. In almost all sports. No officials means no more games. Is that what you want for us? Come on, parents. It's time to grow up. Cheer for your team. Be proud of your children. But stop being so ridiculous. And don't make us run another commercial. Because we will. This message presented by the Washington Interscholastic Activities Association and the Washington State Secondary Athletic Administrators Association. Reminding you to always practice good sportsmanship. Have something important to say? Want to help improve our world? Need to promote your business uniquely and effectively? KKNW is the answer. Our staff helps broadcasters and podcasters create professional-sounding audio. Bring your talent and let our experts help you craft a radio show or podcast that best delivers your message. Learn more at 1150kknw.com. That's 1150kknw.com. KKNW, talk variety that's live and local. Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk, 1150. Good morning. This is Mercy Russell back with the Remarkable Relationship Show. My guest today is Dr. Leslie Cornegay. And um, we're talking today about her journey in, uh, personally, spiritually, through her leadership career path. Um, we were just talking, Leslie, about your, we were talking about your earlier life before, and then just talking about this, um, I think the first job that you had um, as you entered the world of um, environmental services, let's say. So, um, so can, can we just pick up where you were? Sure. So I um, applied for the front desk supervisor position for, um, a major hotel in the area, the major hotel in the area in Raleigh, North Carolina, and was basically told by the general manager that I would not be considered for the position and was stated that I knew why. And I was flabbergasted. I didn't know what he meant. And he said, well, you know, someone like you will never be a front desk supervisor here. And that was my first experience with this racial discrimination. Mm -hmm. He actually steered me to the housekeeping department. And so just, I, to, just to be clear, he was saying that because of the visibility of the yes. front desk person, they wouldn't have a woman of color in that position. Exactly. So it was... I it was your race primarily? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And now, mind you, several of the people, my, my roommate was white. She worked there. She actually ended up getting the job. Uh-huh. But anyway, none is to say. I, I, never, I didn't have any resentment. You know, I thought about it, and I said, well, that, that was the times. Um, what year was that? What would you say that was like? 1980, 79, 80. 79, yeah. 80, uh huh. Yeah. And um, so I became the assistant uh, director for the housekeeping department. Um, 
no experience, mind you, other than having been a housekeeper. And I did that for a couple of years and I, I was still in school and I made the decision to, if I'm going to do this, then I'm going to be the best at it, right? I'm going to take it as far as I can take it. And so I went from an assistant within five years, director, to uh, an executive for at least three major hotels in the area. And I helped to open them. So I did all work with the general manager and did all the planning and stuff to open the hotel. I was doing extremely well. I was doing so well that I decided to stop going to school. Okay. And it was at the last position that the general manager that had hired me, and he was probably the, the, the epitome of what a leader should be. Um, he ended up going back to California and they hired uh, another person who I ended up going through a sexual harassment experience. And when that happened, I walked off the job. At those times, I didn't know, you know, that it didn't dawn on me like, go see uh, EEO or there was no diversity offices yeah. in the departments, that kind of stuff. The options weren't there. And it was his word against mine. And by my working, walking off the job, it was like the worst time to do it. Like we were in a recession. Um, the fact that I walked off the job, I couldn't use that job to apply for other jobs. People wanted to know, well, what have you been doing the last two years? Right? Mm -hmm. So I was unemployed for a year without any unemployment. And when you talk about going from what I consider the top down to rock bottom with nothing. We can't pay your bills, you know, you just, and you don't have nowhere to go, okay? Um, I made the decision then, and it was, uh, you know, you're talking about the spirituality. This is, this is one of those times where, um, that came into play. I remember being uh, in church on New Year's Eve and making the decision then, um, you know, God, if you bring me out of this, then this won't ever happen again. Um, I never blame that on God because God doesn't, that's, that's not how my God works, okay? And so I ended up getting, uh, after a year, a position with uh, another major hotel. Um, I was connected with the general manager and he hired me just based on a conversation. And I was also six months later hired at another major school at Chapel Hill. And I worked both of those jobs for a year. Okay. One was on third shift and the other one was on first shift because <laughs> I was determined that I would never. And I also made the decision to get back in school. Um, so from there, I mean, I've, I've worked at, uh, the largest school system, uh, in the area for several years, working with principals and the, um, head custodians, uh, who are probably some of the hardest workers in America because they take care of the whole school. So it's one person doing everything to, uh, going on to be hired as an administrator a little bit later on. Because once I started with the school in Chapel Hill, I was actually working for the state of North Carolina. And so every move I made from there uh, was 
internal within the state of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And the last system that I had in North Carolina was for the major school in Raleigh and major university. Mm-hmm. And, uh, deputy director, but I started there as a um, administrator and was hired again based on my, you know, um, by chance meeting the assistant director at a conference and my talking my way into a, a position with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you, you know, part of what you're, talk, you're talking about is the fact that once you made up your mind, Mm-hmm. You sort of, you know, went along, tried things, you know, kind of went your own way. And then when that didn't, that fell apart, but there's eventually you made up your mind, you were going to find a way to make it work. And when it did, when you made up your mind, you did whatever it took. So you pursued contacts that you needed in order, you didn't just sit back and wait for people to recognize you, you approached people and you had a way of um, talking to them so so that they would, it would open a door and that they would help you. Um, Well, it was gone. And I felt like I'd already been at the bottom. The most you can do is reject me. Right. Right. (laughs) Uh And so, uh, and I'm just saying boy, to this day is that, you know, I don't care who you are. Um, I'm going to be, um, you know, personable and approachable. And, um, I think that, that, that has helped serve me, mm-hmm. serve me well. Um, so but, but, Leslie, um, I'm thinking about our time and I want to, there's so much more um, to talk about, but just, can you just briefly summarize what your career has been like since then? Because you went on to complete a bachelor's. Um, Yeah, well, yeah, I completed the bachelor's and I realized once I had done that, um, you know, that I was, I was already at that level. I was already had a career and I decided to go ahead and get the master's, completed the master's and decided that, okay, why am I not moving like everybody else? And I thought it was because, okay, well, you're in a predominantly white institution and maybe it's because you're black. So I started looking outside of mm-hmm. North Carolina because I figured, okay, well, in order for me to grow, I'm going to have to go. Yeah, that's right? your thing, right? I yeah, have to go so, to grow. I have to go to grow. Yeah. yeah. So I started applying and I, I probably, and this is no exaggeration, went on 20 to five, 25 to 30 out of state, fully paid uh, search interviews some as a finalist and I always got the same answer you are great you're wonderful blah 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 but you're not quite what we're looking for you're not the right fit and that basically told me that they weren't ready to hire a black person in leadership Mm -hmm. especially a black female Uh, but what I learned when I went to, because I was hired in Massachusetts, uh, to uh, be over a uh, organi- facilities organization, and it was a, a VP who took a chance on me. Uh, he was white, and I think the difference with Michael was that he he was also um gay and so he understood what I wanted to do and the challenges that I might have been having to do it and he hired me and that began my trajectory into senior you know into leadership senior leadership yeah Mm -hmm. from there I went to the University of Vermont as the director of custodial services and I did not want to necessarily uh, 
become a director of housekeeping. Um, after completing my master's, I got into a doctoral program with a nameless school that I'll let it remain anonymous. <laughs> um, I fulfilled all of the doctoral requirements, but when it came time to get support to do my research, uh, that didn't happen. And so I have always had to fund my education with the exception of when I went to A&T, my parents paid. And so I had accumulated a huge, uh, you know, amount of debt sending myself to school. And I made the decision to go to UVM purely on the fact that I could get a doctorate there and I wouldn't have to pay for it. And right. it was exactly. part of it was part of the benefit, the employee benefit was that you could take, you could you could you could get a degree and be in a degree program right. um, covered by the university. Right. And right. Um, so what term what I hadn't planned to be at UVM more than five years, but I ended up being there for almost 10. And I loved it the job in a very good situation, but I also realized sometimes when it's things are going well, that's the time to go. I had in my journey lost the most important person in my life, my mother, to uh, pancreatic cancer. And that started another soul searching, spiritual journey for me, mm -hmm. where I, um, I, when I lost my mother, it, you know, you don't understand what that's like until you go through it. And um, I made the decision then that I probably needed to make my, start making my journey back south. I just felt like I needed to be closer to my family. And so that's where I am today. Um, I am not finished. Um, I really didn't start my career well until I was 38 years old. And um, so I've done all of this since I was 38. Mm -hmm. and, um, I think I've covered most of it, Mercy, but there's so much more. Of course um, there is. It has not been the most positive experience. And one of the things that I, I, you know, my mother told me a long time ago was she really appreciated and respected me because I don't give up. And I've been <laughs> challenged in these organizations, uh -huh. um, uh, accused of a lot of things by people that, ha I guess the word, right word would be sabotage. Right. Because I was a person of color, I was a female, and they didn't want me there. Right. I, you know, I had the opportunity or the privilege of hearing a lot of the gory details of, you know, one of these instances uh, when you were in Vermont. And, um, you know, I think as you mentioned to me when we were speaking, you know, uh, in the last several weeks, that you know, you're in a different institution in a different part of the country, different dynamics. But you, you said something I thought was really interesting and wise. You said these political challenges, once you're in leadership, come with the job. That it wasn't a matter of just getting it right or getting in the right institution or being the right leader. This was just, a, this was, these were going to be predictable dynamics. And I guess my, my, my thought is that then they would also perhaps be intensified and all sometimes ignited by both by the fact that you are a black female. So both being black and being female in leadership um, in academic institutions. Um, you know, for all the talk about diversity and openness, um, that those 
that those characteristics are laid on just what I would call the normal challenges in leadership, because I've seen white females deal with, you know, and actually my white male father-in-law deal with, you know, similar dynamics, but the, but the intensity and the persistence has been really, you know, just become sort of a, what do we call it? One of the, an iron, you know, having an iron in the fire for you. But I also, from what I know of you, have seen how the skills that you've developed and the maturity and the spiritual maturity that you've developed along the way. Like the, what was the other quote you said to me the other day? Just because you are the boss doesn't mean you are anything. Well, doesn't mean that you uh, have any authority. <laughs> right. You know, if you go into leadership to have power, then you're in the wrong job. Right. Right. But really, it's the personal power that you've gained, right? The sort of stamina, the persistence that, you know, as your mother said, you know, but, you know, and you had that characteristic from a young age. Um, And you may not have seen how it would serve you or how it would, you know, develop over time. But that is what, you know, has really um, helped you to adapt to all these different circumstances. So I'm also wondering if you could just speak a little bit more. We have a few minutes left. Um, and I do, I believe, yeah, like we have to wrap up now. <laughs> so I'm looking at my clock. But um, so at any rate, I just want, you know, I guess there's more to the story, of course. And I hope to have you back so we can really sort of dive in to, you know, just sort of the inner meat. Uh, you and I had a chance to talk about your you know, travels through your, your spirituality, your, you know, church connection, your COVID experience. Um, and I hope we get to talk about COVID that again. Um, so what I would like to say is that um, this is like Mercy Russell with the Remarkable Relationship Show. My guest today has been Dr. Leslie Cornegay. Now, if you would like to contact Dr. Cornegay, you can reach her at L Cornegay, L-K-O-R-N-E-G-A-Y at me.com. Um, her this her uh, email there's no, there, will also be there's in no the Y. There's oh, there's L no Corny. Yeah. It's just K-O-R-N-E-G-A. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. So but it will, that will also be in the show notes as, as will her bio. Um, I want to thank you again, Leslie, for joining us today. And um, yeah, this is, you know, I think we have a remarkable relationship, but, you know, the way you've navigated and adapted to so many um, different types of relationships uh, in your work life. I mean, we can't, we haven't even touched upon it. And I really, um, thank you so much for joining me today and, um, beginning your story of leadership with us.